Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This week I'm speaking with Kenny LaRose, a nomadic full-time photographer and educator, as he embarks on a photographic journey sharing insights into his passion for capturing nature's beauty. Hosting numerous workshops across the US, Kenneth views photography as a free-flowing expression of creativity, emphasising growth through teaching. Kenny delves into his nomadic lifestyle, residing in an airstream for six years, and how his background in modelling and bodybuilding influenced his transition to landscape photography. He advocates for exploring non-iconic, less visited places and cherishing spontaneity in photography. We talk about his unique teaching philosophy and the impact of social media on photography and society. He accompanies his Instagram images with poetry, showcasing how one creative outlet can inspire another, adding another layer to his artistic expression. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Kenneth. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Hey, what's going on there, Grant? How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well. It's a nice but sweaty day down here in in Sydney. How are things where you are? P and W, wet and cold. Pretty <laughs> standard. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> yeah, used to it. Fair enough. So, for those that don't know you, and I imagine there's a few of my listeners that may not have come across your work. Why don't you start with who you are and why you do what you do? Yeah, man, I think that's a great question. The why, right? The why is so important. My name's Kenny LaRose and I'm an astro landscape photographer. I teach photography for a living and yeah, I've been doing, I've been living on the road for six years with my dog and we live in a tiny little airstream. I'm actually coming to you live. Grant and I fumbled with some video here trying to get it to work, but the service is it's good enough for this audio but just shy for the videos yeah so i'm been doing it for a while and teaching and it's my passion and man i'm sure we're going to dive into some of that but that's just like a snapshot oh absolutely that's what this is all about diving into the why in particular so how did you get started what was the the genesis where you said, okay, photography is what I want to do and this is my passion. Where did that passion sort of ignite for you? Yeah, it's it's wacky. I was, in my younger years, I did a lot of modeling, so I was on the other side of the camera. And so I worked with a lot of different photographers and sometimes, so I was a bodybuilder for 15 years. I was competitive. Mm-hmm. That's I eat, slept, breathed fitness and bodybuilding. So I would get ready for bodybuilding shows. And then that's when I get like a lot of fitness shoots right around the time when I'm peaking, getting ready. And so I would work with these photographers and some I worked with were fantastic, like super talented. And then others, I'm just like, wait, they're shooting for this magazine. And and I'm looking at the end result and I'm just like, I'm just not super thrilled with the results. So there was like this little seed inside me that was like always whispering if you learned how to do this i bet you could do a better job um (laughs) sounds kind of pompous but it of course there was like those phenomenal photographers but so there was just that little seed and so i ended up having this i got this camera as a gift one year and just sat on the shelf and my buddy rodney logan 
he lived in Vegas. He was a, a portrait photographer, a fitness photographer, and his mom was flying out. He, was, he wanted to teach her how to shoot. So he was like, hey, man, can I use you as a model? I'm like, yeah, sure. I was like, yeah, actually, can you teach me? I got this camera that I don't know how to use. And so, long story short, he told me shutter speed, aperture, ISO, taught me what they were. That weekend, I drove up to Big Sur. I was living in Vegas at the time. I drove to Big Sur. I took 3,000 photos. That was like, I took photos of every single thing that I saw that I thought <laughs> might be pretty. And just to learn like what the different settings were. And yeah, yeah. from that point on, I, I hit the ground running. I came back to Vegas and I just, my goal was to become this premier fitness photographer. So I just, I got all my friends, a lot of people in the industry. Chippendales and, and I, yeah. the strippers. I, I lived in like this, I lived a wacky life back then. So I was surrounded by a lot of people in that industry and yeah, man, just set up shoots and thought that was going to be my path was fitness photography. And one day I took a trip to San Francisco, shot on the beach, got this photo that I was like, Whoa, it was the bridge. It was the water with some slow. Uh -huh. shot. It was just, it was just one of those moments that you're just like, Back then, you don't really know what good conditions are, but like hindsight, yeah, yeah. Like they were fantastic conditions and they made for incredible photos. I didn't have to do much. I didn't have to have much skill to, to snap these. And then I was hooked, man. I wanted to figure out how I did that and I wanted to recreate it. And I swapped my portraiture to landscape and just became obsessed with learning it. Okay, wow. So where did the landscape stuff was that the point where you said, hey, this really works for me artistically and it's something that I want to keep doing? Or was that where you just started and saying, okay, I really want to get good at capturing the, the world around me? Uh, interesting. When I was shooting, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, was like, hey, you should shoot nature. And I just looked at her and laughed at, at the thought of that i was like what do you mean i've driven down the road and seen like these epic mountains and i take my phone out and i snap a photo and they just look so far in the distance like yep. they just I, I just i didn't see the possibility in doing that let's backtrack to to the question here sorry i deviated from there but yeah you're right. it, yeah the, there was I never really felt like I was creative. Like, I felt like I, I like had these creative juices. I come from a really creative family. My grandfather was a colorist. He worked for DC Comics. My oh, mother cool. could paint. My sister could paint. My dad, like, I, I just came from like all this, this talent. And then there was me who could lift heavy weights. I'm <laughs> like, damn, like, I want something that I want to feel something. So I started, I wrote a little bit, but it, it didn't really. I don't know. It didn't really speak to me. And photography, I don't know. It was the thing that I was missing my whole life. It was that creative outlet. It was, it was the overflowing power of when you have these creative juices, they just build up and you just don't have an outlet for them. So you, so I feel like a lot of us just try to find hobbies and sports and like whatever it yeah, is that, yeah. that we try to do photography was that outlet for me that I never even thought existed. Yeah, wow. So where did the life in the Airstream start and the nomadic life? Why did you get into that? And what is it that, I guess, keeps you going? 
man, it's such a, it, it, there wasn't really much that, that went into this. I was having a conversation with this girl and she was like, I started on my photography journey. So I was taking little trips, living in Vegas, living in San Diego, bouncing back and forth. Yep. And I take little trips to like Yosemite, four or five hours, and then I cruise back. And it was just like a couple months of doing that. And she was like, hey, why don't you just live on the road? And I was like, what? I'm like, people don't do that. Like, I've never, what do you mean live on the road? And she was like, get in the RV and just travel. And I'm like, where would I sleep? I don't even, I can't even begin to think of what that would look like. And, and then I thought about it. And I Googled it. I was like, whoa, people actually do this. Mm. And then I saw online that an Airstream, like I had this little Jeep Rubicon. So I was like, man, can I tell, I can't really afford to get an RV. So I looked to see what the options were. And I found out that I could tow something small and everything small just looked like super crappy. And then of course I saw this Airstream and I'm like, this is cool. So again, long story short, this conversation happened. Three days later, I found myself buying an Airstream, and a week later, I still was living on the road. There were, really wasn't much like thought or into it. It was just like, well, this sounds like it it would work. I guess people live on the road, so why can't oh. I? I can figure that out, I guess. And I've never towed a trailer or anything like that, but if other people are doing it, there's... Uh, <laughs> How can it be? I, yeah. Yeah, man. A week later, I I booked it from San Diego, renting a room out of my buddy's house. And I was like, all right, well, let me go drive to Texas. That'll make me feel like I live on the road and really far from anywhere I've ever lived. And so I did that. And uh, the adventure began. And here we are six plus years later. And uh, what keeps me doing it? I don't know, man. Ah, fear of not doing it. <laughs> The FOMO of living in four walls um, yeah, that have higher rooms and a couch. Place, yeah. I was going to ask how you feel it's influenced your photography and which has influenced the traveling. Has that pushed your photography boundaries or is your photography boundary pushing where you, where you travel in your, in your airstream? Yeah, it's a good question. What drives what, right? Yeah. I can tell you that I've become pretty obsessed with things that I'm passionate about. I would say the photography drives the lifestyle. Uh Um, And has it helped with cultivating or, or growing my skills as a photographer? I don't, I'm sure it does, but I think that I would be figuring it out anyway. And putting the reps in when I'm passionate about something, whether it's bodybuilding or photography or cooking or loving my dog, like whatever that, that passion is, it's, it's ingrained and repeated day in and day out. And yeah, there, there is no option for it to not exist. Uh-huh. If I didn't live on the road, it would still exist. And the passion would still be there what living on the road allows me to do is pull up to places and not ever have to drive home i don't ever have to do that five hour drive back home to san diego and pass by all these amazing places that i would love to stop shoot explore so it it frees me to cherry pick 
places and seasons that I just want to hang out and shoot. Like I'm in the PNW right now and I've been shooting these big waves for the last two months yep. and I've gotten to see the waves in the best light possible because I just hang out. I'm doing the business side of things. And every time I see conditions are looking good, like I just head out and do it. And, nice. and yeah, like that's, it gives you the flexibility to do that. Yeah. I was going to ask how does it influence the business side of things? So you do quite a lot of teaching, et cetera. Is it hard to forward schedule? Because, you know, I, I know myself from doing workshops, you've got to be out there months ahead to let people know where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. How difficult is it for you to set up your schedule for things like the, the business end of things? Yeah, I think... With the business side of things, it's like anything. You have your challenges and and you have your excuses that you make to not get things done. Oh. I'm such a big advocate of if you're if you have the means to get it done, like you're gonna do it no matter where you are. I think living on the road definitely presents some of the challenges that you're talking about where uh, you just don't really know where you are and like you and probably many of the listeners right now are, are probably sitting in the confines of their home. So they know where they're going to sleep every night. They pay yep. their Wi-Fi bill on their electricity and they know where their computer's set up so they can set up an office. And for me, I'm just, everything's always getting tossed around and allocating time. Even Wi-Fi is a challenge running water. There's just a, like a lot of, a lot of challenges, but at the end of the day, I, I don't know if it's more difficult out here or am I just making excuses when I don't get sure, things done sure. and try to blame it on the nice circumstances? I don't know. It leads me into one of the questions which I ask a lot of photographers. Where do you sit on that sort of planning versus spontaneity spectrum? There's people that do some planning depending on what it is that they're doing, particularly astrophotographers. You've got to know where the Milky Way or whatever it is that you're going to shoot is going to be. At the other end of the spectrum, you got people that just opportunistically get out there and look for something that just happens, the right light, that sort of thing. Where do you fit on that spectrum? I think this surprises people, but um, but I fall very strongly on that second part of the spectrum. I don't plan anything except okay. my workshops. I don't research places. In fact, Grant, if, if if you invited me over and you said, hey, okay, come on out here. Let's go. Let's do like a three-day adventure. And then you told me the places that we were going. I wouldn't even look them up. And then wow. if you tried to show me photos, I wouldn't want to see them because I don't want to be influenced by anything i want to i'm just going to go grant i trust your judgment i love your photos i'm sure you're going to take me somewhere wonderful and regardless we're going to get you know good shots like we're just gonna i'm oh, just gonna yeah. figure it out. and if i miss the iconic shot then i miss the iconic shot because it happens what happens like sometimes i'll go places i'll be like oh man if i would have just like went 30 feet over that hill yeah. i would have had like a a much better view but i'm never upset about that it just did i'm happy because i captured something that i wanted to in my interpretation and it wasn't 
I wasn't influenced by anyone. So we, even with Milky Way stuff, I really don't like once in a while, if I'm like exploring, I'm like, oh, this is a cool rock and a cool tree. I wonder if it lines up with Milky Way. I'll open up photo pills and take a look. But I'm definitely, I, I don't like to go to iconic places and I don't like to go to places where I already have an idea of what the landscape looks like. My creativity and photography is fueled by 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 finding those things on the spot so i'm not no. much of a scouter either yeah, well, again yeah. unless i'm teaching different scenario i've yeah, got to be prepared yeah. for students and 1000 percent, i'll do that for students but if it's for me and my creativity no i don't want to even know what i'm going to shoot that day sure so in, in that planning phase of your workshops etc i guess you've got to work out where you want to be, where you want to shoot with your clients and then set out a, a plan and a, a workshop format that is going to get the best out of that location. How much time and effort are you putting into that side of the business to say, okay, I'm going to go say, let's say it's Pacific Northwest, we're going to go to this specific spot and we're going to do sunset scapes or something how do you put that format together yeah so it's really important there's so much planning that goes into that so ironically it's the complete opposite of my approach however they get glimpses of my approach because with workshops you have to leave it open to conditions oh so, yeah like, absolutely yeah for, for instance if you're coming on my oregon coast workshop then i know that place like the back of my hand and I've spent so much time that I get to go to these iconic places and show different perspectives of those places. So based on conditions, what the light looks like that day, where the tide is, there's so many variables that all the places I do workshops, I, I understand what different conditions are going to yield better results for photos in other places. So if it's foggy, that day, then I'm just like, okay, this is going to be the perfect place to go for the fog. So I, I really leave the itinerary open. I, it's so funny because I send an itinerary to students because they really want to know where they're going. And I think realistically, they just want to know that they're spending money and that they're not going to sit in a hotel room. <laughs> so you put up an itinerary that's basically toilet paper because, because you're going to adapt and shift that so much, but I send it out anyway. And then the first day of the workshop, I'm like, all right, you guys got the, you guys got the itinerary now throw it out the window. <laughs> we're going to, I did that. So you guys knew that we had lots of stuff planned for you, but from now on we're going with the conditions. So if it looks like it's going to be clear tonight, we're shooting Milky way. If it looks like there's some fog rolling in, we're going to shoot the redwoods. Like if depending on where the tide is tomorrow or the next day, we're going to choose where we're going to go shoot because we've op I've optimized the places that I know I've looked the best at this tide and what we could shoot there. Yeah. But I I I think it's important as an instructor and a leader to to know the terrain inside and out. So they're not, but I do one on ones where I'll be like. Hey, I'm going to do a scouting mission. Do you want to come with me? And scouting mission just means we're just going to drive around and just shoot really cool stuff and figure out how to get some compositions. And I, I think that's where a, a lot of the learning comes from 
is doing things like that, like stepping outside of your comfort zone yeah. and, and putting no pressure. So you're not going to this iconic place. And if you get, if you don't get like this, I don't know, icon like this incredible shot because, it, and you're stuck with these beautiful. I don't. I guess stuck. I, I'm fumbling words here. I'm trying yeah, to find all. the right words to to describe the feeling of satisfaction and like my creator barometer just rises so high when I capture something that I just haven't seen before mm. uh, versus yeah. if I roll up to, I don't know, Thor's and take a photo of, of Thor's well that's been taken 16 million times with the water spouting out with some nice light. It's cool. It's beautiful. And like everyone should see it. But at the same time, I'm not feeding, I'm not feeding. You're not getting the passion back out of that experience compared to finding your own. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay. So in terms of that, obviously you're going to come across the failures that come with going out. Yeah, the conditions might look right, but you didn't quite nail the, the... the composition or whatever how do you deal with those disappointments and the experimentation that comes along with or or the challenges that come along with that experimentation and finding something unique all right imagine if you could never fail in photography how good would that feel pretty boring i think no your failures will lead you to I guess like peaks and and valleys. Like it's it's like that there isn't any failing. It's just learning. Yeah, you just roll out. And I I have learned how to not put so much pressure on myself because I know exactly what you're talking about in the beginning when I first, and especially before I lived on the road. And again, this is luxuries that you get from living on the road, from like, oh. like cherry picking and like sitting around waiting. It's not like I have a corporate job where I'm traveling four days every few months and trying to jam pack as many places as I can. And that can be pretty stressful. And then if you don't have the conditions, then you can feel like a failure and you can feel like, oh my God, four days here, it's rained every day. I haven't gotten a single photo that I love. And, but if you just shift that mentality and just, instead of looking for the photos that you think you're going to get, look for the photos that are actually being presented because there are photos to take every condition everywhere maybe it's a video of like beautiful water droplets of the rain just like trickling off the leaves there's always something it may not be exactly what we have in mind but throw that out the window that's what i mean by imagine if you could never fail you just instead of having that failure mentality you look at what you can get out of this and whether it's experience photos there's it's just about being creative. And I remember on my birthday one year in Alabama Hills, I was shooting these light trails leading up into the Eastern Sierra mountains. And I just kept on blue hour. You only get this small window to get those light trails and still get some definition on the mountains. And I'm sitting there and I'm shooting this and I just can't seem to get it. I'm, I'm about ready to give up. And, and hmm. the guy that I was with was just like, was just like, no man, there's a composition there. You just haven't found it yet. And Whenever I'm in a place and I'm ready to give up and I'm just like, oh, there's nothing here. We've said that to ourselves so many times. Oh, there's nothing here. I promise 
there is. And I always go back to that mantra and that moment because you know what? I stayed there instead of packing up, which I was ready to. He said that. I'm just like, oh, he's probably right. What did I do? I stopped. I had this internal conversation and I found the composition and I got the shot. And it was there. I just wasn't able to see it. I don't know. Yeah, where where I was coming from in saying, ah, it'd be pretty boring if you never failed, what I was thinking is, for me, the excitement that I get out of a success sort of counterbalances the disappointments that I might feel when, and it's not necessarily bad conditions or whatever, it's you go somewhere, it might be somewhere where you can only spend a short amount of time, as you were saying, and... You don't quite nail it. You get some nice shots, but you don't quite nail it. And that disappointment goes, eh, I could have done that better. But that to me is part of that learning process of saying, okay, I didn't quite nail that, but I'm going to go back and do it again. Or if you're in a situation like yourself where you can sit and wait in the the airstream for a little bit, and then you can go out again and nail it, then that does change the way that you look at your photography. And I really like the way that you describe that as well. Yeah, no, and, and you're absolutely right. That's, that's it. That's, yeah, those failures. But again, like, they're, my perception on them are just like, they're never failures. They're learning experiences, just sure. like you said. If you don't take those photos that, in like epic light and fumble and, and not get the shot. Of course, I come back to my computer all the time and I'm like, oh man, I was, what was, I thinking? What was I thinking? <laughs> I, I thought on the back of the camera that this was perfect or why did I underexpose everything so hard? And these are the moments that that you learn and you're just like, it's, it's never a failure. I'm, I'm not like, oh man, I failed. I'm just like, okay, I learned. I'm all right. I I have a tendency to underexpose things. I, you know what? Sometimes I'm looking at through the camera and maybe I'm looking at an angle through the viewfinder. So I'm not seeing the full composition. And I think I am. So I need to pay attention to when my eyeball touches the viewfinder and make sure I'm seeing the whole scene in there. There's like little bits and pieces that you're just like, how did I screw that up? But yeah, yeah, we learn and that way we can go out and fix them and just grow. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that people that do follow you will know you for is posting a poem with every image that you're putting onto, say, Instagram, for example. Where did that start and how does that communication side of things play into your photography? Dude, I, I can't believe you noticed that. I didn't think anybody read any captions. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I won't say I read everybody's, every caption of everybody's shots, but some are more interesting than others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Like, I, I love doing it, but I always, like, laugh. Even if I, I don't like the poem, I'm just like, ah, nobody's going to read it anyway. So, <laughs> uh, nobody reads captions. They're for me. Like, in my world, they're for me, but also sure. left open. Man, like I started writing them like seven years. It's so crazy. Like time flies, but I started writing them seven years ago. I was hanging out with some friends, photography. I was was getting my feet into photography seven years ago. I feel like that was a huge like trial and error. Of course, like today is still a huge trial and error. 
but back then like everything was new I was an infant to photography mm. and what people were doing then were taking quotes from like Martin Luther King or like yep. Harriet Tubman yep. and adding them onto. Do you remember that like phase when? Yeah, the, I mean, that, that really weird phase where everything had to be so profound and. Yes. Yeah. So like people's captions were just like really strong statements that were made. They were like one else. of those calendars, those quote calendars that you get where every day there's a new quote from, as you say, Martin Luther King or JFK or somebody. <laughs> yeah. And like super powerful words, but there was something, and, and I, I did it once or twice and it just didn't feel authentic. And I, uh -huh. I'm super weird. Like I just can't do things that don't, that just don't feel natural. So after I did, I'm like, you know what? Like, why am I using someone else's words? I can just, and no offense to anyone who does. But for me, I was like, I can take this opportunity to use my own words because I don't know, maybe I could write poetry. Like in the past, I've like, tried to get fancy and romantic with a girl. Like I'll write a little poem here and there once a year or something. Or, and so I was like, man, I, maybe I could like, write poems. So I started writing. I don't know if you want to even call them poems. I just started writing things and they weren't very good. They were just thoughts. And and I remember, I wish my girlfriend at the time would have told me that they suck, but she didn't. She just told me everything was great. So I just assumed they were really good. <laughs> and, and just like anything else in life through repetition, I started to go, you know what? I'm going to write a poem for every single photo. And I did. And I just forced myself to sit down and write. And it's just like, it's just like going to the gym. Like sometimes you don't want to go, but when you leave, you're just like, Oh my God, thank God I went. I just feel so much better. And yep. the same thing with writing po poetry for me. I rarely ever feel like sitting down and writing poems, but the after effect, I get these feelings and these emotions out and like creatively rhyme them. So it's, it just, it feels good. And they've just evolved into stuff that I think sucks a little less now i don't think they're as bad as they were seven years ago but man I, I really enjoy that creative process it's just another outlet again i think for many of us we just search for those things that we can allow to just pour out of us those, yeah. those creative juices and, and photography is one and poetry is the other man it also helps me understand how i'm feeling like they're pretty deep and they have a lot of meaning i think if you just read through them real quick you're just like oh that's nice but if you really think they're actually they're actually really deep and connecting mm -hmm. uh, for me and, and i know some other people do resonate with them but it's always open to interpretation with poetry as yeah, same as photography so yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think one of the things that comes out to me anyway is that ability to communicate both with the imagery but also in the words that you accompanying the image with and that ability to communicate is really stressed in 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 your work from what i can see how much do you attribute some of your success to that ability to communicate Oh, well, also, thanks. That was nice. That was nice of you to say. Communication is everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, it's really important. I was just talking about this last night about how important it is to communicate. And 
set boundaries and and be authentic do what feels good to you but also mm -hmm. have the ability to communicate and if you're a teacher have the ability to listen and that's part of the communication is listening and understanding what someone else needs or wants or or expects you it's just a balancing game at that point is of listening and just understanding so communication as man this is like your whole podcast is communicating like you wouldn't have a successful podcast if if you didn't have uh, really great communication skills because nobody would want to come on here because they'd be like ah oh, grant man and <laughs> hear the answer yeah yeah so i think communications especially in any kind of frontline business where we're like you're part of the product I'm sure like my photography but the ability to teach and then personality like i think a lot most people that sign up for workshops, they're not like, they're not signing up because they absolutely love my photography and they're not signing up because they absolutely love me as a human, but it's like a combination. They're like, oh, wow. Like I like the way this guy communicates. Like I like his vibe. I think I could learn from him. His photos are pretty cool too. Like it's, yeah. Like the communication is a huge part of it because in this day and age, social media just opens the door for you to put your resume of communication out there for the world to see. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Where, where do you see photography in society and how do you think society is influencing photography and vice versa, particularly with the advent of social media? There's so much photography out there now that certainly from a a, a, a selling perspective, selling photography is so much harder because there's so much about. But where do you see photography fitting into society and in, in general? I think we've always been like super visual and phones and everything just getting like so much better. Everyone has access to taking, to the ability to take amazing photos with what's in their hands. So I think the industry is booming and, and people are, are way more interested in photography, which is why I think teaching and education is, is a great way to make a living. But also, damn, like social media has now been a huge influence in photography because not everybody gets in it because of the creative. Like some of them get in it. Because they want their ego stroked or oh yeah, or they want right. following or yeah. There's all different reasons why people, but I think social media has opened the door to like flood people into the gates, which is cool. Like photography. Yeah, photography is beautiful. It's changed my life. It's allowed me to be creative. And I don't do it for, for everyone else. So for me, it's, it's always going to be special and it's always going to be, it, it's going to exist it's going to be a passion and mm -hmm. um, man, like how it fits into society. I, I think just more and more like people are going to get interested and want to be onboarded into learning how to better their photography because they've gotten the taste. They gotten a little taste with their iPhone or their camera phone. And they're just like, man, I want to do even cooler things. How can I learn to do that? Yep. And whatever the reason is, whether it's, clout they just want a big instagram or or they've been introduced to something that they genuinely enjoy 
makes them feel better. Cool. That's that, that, that's really interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people also one of one of the things you said people being flooded with imagery. One of the things that it has done. You've only got to look at places like Iceland. Ten years ago, hardly anybody went there. Social media has just made it so popular and sometimes to its detriment because you go to places and it's just packed out with 150 people there with tripods trying to get that shot of the the waterfalls or whatever. But I think that is it spurred travel. It spurred a whole bunch of different activities, hiking and so forth. The interest in that has, has increased. So I'm seeing quite a lot of societal changes being driven by photography getting out there in social media. Yeah. And, uh, and if also, if you're listening, can you please stop shooting all the iconic places? Cause my Instagram <laughs> is just flooded with the same damn photos from the same damn places all the time. So, uh, just, uh, yeah, man. I, I think that's like my only qualm is just that when I scroll through Instagram, it's literally the same stuff over and over and there's only a handful of people that do some really inspiring stuff in my eyes that get me like excited too so so also like social media has diluted things and just like you said has brought foot traffic and unwanted foot traffic to a lot of places definitely you won't you typically won't find me lined up with 150 tripods except shooting the waves because (laughs) the waves are like so unique and different but yeah but yeah, public service announcement. Please, just like, just do it a little differently. I want some pretty, some new, pretty fresh stuff to look yeah. at. Stand with 150 tripods aren't. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I'm interested in is where uh, places that you love to keep coming back to, and I don't want your secret spots, but just <laughs> general areas what is it that keeps bringing you back to those places? Man, it's just, I love Mount Rainier. I love the PNW. I love just exploring out there and finding different moods. Fog has been really fun this last like year and a half shooting. I found a new fondness for fog. And nice. I think that's been one of my favorite things to shoot. PNW. You always get a lot of that, a lot of that fog. Yeah, you got plenty of opportunities for it up there. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know, man. The waves—it's like if we had this podcast a month from now or two months from now, it would be wherever I'm at. And it's sure. just there's no like real favorite. There's just I don't know. What do I feel like doing this month? Where do I feel like going? And uh, this last couple months have been these big waves, man. They've just they've encapsulated my attention and i just i can't get enough of them Mm, nice what's your most memorable experience being out in the world there's two that come to mind the first is the first time i ever saw light rays in the redwoods it was the most enchanting magical moment i felt like i was in a movie it didn't feel real and it lasted for seven or eight hours man what an experience to see these magical light rays just like drift through the forest for seven hours. God, that's 
I have been, I have now been back to get them 15 to 20 times since then, because it just became this drug like that. I just wanted more of, but I don't think I'll ever get that, that first feeling. I know that because I've been there <laughs> with light rays like 15 more times and, and I'm still chasing that feeling and it, and yeah, it hasn't yeah. happened again. It <laughs> happens. It's fantastic. There's that. And then there's, there's the Aurora in Death Valley, something that wow. I just never in wildest dreams. Like it just like, what did you say? Did you say Death Valley and Aurora in the same sentence? Yeah, I did. Man, I, I just I drove out there. There was forecasted Aurora. Looks like it's gonna be the Aurora storm of the century. And so I'm like, yeah, I was in Vegas. So I'm like looking at my buddy. I'm in his gym. I'm like, oh man, I don't feel like oh, going to Death Valley. All right, I'll drive. Who knows? Like maybe there'll be a roar and I'm driving out there and I've got my, I've got, I pull up my airstream and, and pull on the side of the road. I'm in the basin, Badwater basin. And I'm like yep. sunset. It's, it's sun is just setting right now. So I didn't get there in time for sunset because I was procrastinating on even going out there. And so I pull up and I'm like, ah, I don't even feel like putting my backpack on with all my gear. I'm just going to hold my tripod and my camera and start walking and I'll just set up on a time lapse. And, you know, if I get some Aurora, cool. And as I'm walking out there, I'm like three fourths of the way where I want to be. And all of a sudden, man, I look in this, I'm watching the sky and it's just getting dark now. Yep. And I'm like, what is no way that is. No, I, I'm not. Hold on. Let me put my tripod down and take a test shot here. So I'm like, oh. I'm like moving quick because I'm thinking I'm seeing Aurora. And then I click the shutter and I do a test shot. And oh my God, there was this pink pillars up there. And I was, it wasn't a pink glow. It was pink pillars in Death Valley. And I, all of a sudden, my heart started pounding. And I was like, where's my composition? Where's my composition? Where's my composition? <laughs> so I, I'm I'm running, right? I'm running. I'm like, I can't remember where the salt starts and where, because I wanted the, the really salty foreground and I wasn't yep, quite yep. there yet. It was, it was just crunchy Martian land. And I'm like, oh my God. So I run it up. Like I found a little bit of salt. I'm like, this is fine. I set it down. And then I, I finally get the time lapse going. And I'm just like, oh no, I don't have my other camera. <laughs> I run. It's basically a mile. I run a mile run a mile back to my airstream and grab the rest of my gear run all the way back out there and set up the second camera for a time lapse and i watched the pillars in death valley and i remember watching a random car like there's a car that drives by every 30 minutes and i, I would uh -huh. yell big guys look out the window there's aurora of a mile away <laughs> they can't hear me but i was just like i wish they could hear me and i wish someone else could see this with me because it was incredible, man. Mind-blowing. What about horror stories? Have you ever had any of those? Oh, God. They involve women. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think. But a horror story doesn't... Man, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's so many, especially living on the road. Um, I imagine you would have the odd adventure or two where you get into a uh, sketchy situation. For sure. Actually. Yeah. So there was one back in the day we were going to like this place. I think we called it three hole arch. I don't know if that's actually its name. It's like somewhere in Utah. 
uh-huh. or somewhere else. Also, just throwing this in there, if anyone ever asks me for locations, I never know where anything is because I don't ever research it and I just go and I usually hang out with people that know where it is and I never pin anything. If you open my Google Maps, there's no pins. I repeat, there are no pins. So when I'm like, I don't know where it is, I'm not like trying to be coy and not, but I like genuinely don't remember where it is. So anyway, so three hole arch, we're rolling. We I've got the Jeep and... And I send my friend out to go spot me as I'm like kind of rock crawling. And needless to say, she didn't spot me. (laughs) I just ended up becoming a seesaw on a little rock cliff. And all four tires were now off the ground. (laughs) So it was was very hot. I had my dog and I had uh, two friends with me. And we had to build this bridge of rocks. So we spent the next four hours building building up like rocks to reach the tires so that I wow. could get traction. And then unloading every my whole life out of the Jeep, everything that was heavy. And when I say whole life, like lots of stuff back there because I live on the road. And just to make it lighter so that we could get some traction and get out of there. And yeah, man, we finally did. But I thought we were going to get we were going to have to get towed. And we were out in the middle of nowhere. No service. This is like, like super, like 45 miles down a dirt road, like 45 miles, not exaggerating, like really far. So there is, but yeah, we made it. There was another time where, where I was with my ex-girlfriend. We're just sitting in my Jeep. We're chasing bioluminescence. I think we're over by like Coos Bay or something. It's one of the places where you can drive on the beach. And I'm, I'm sitting on the beach and I didn't realize the tide was coming in and it was like a super little sneaker wave that just those long ones that just like extend and then they Mm -hmm. finally reach your tire i guess it reached my tire twice and i was like oh i think the tide's coming up we should move and so i turn the, the jeep on and i go and i just spin and i don't have any recovery plates or anything and i'm like oh crap And then I spin some more and now I'm sinking and now the tide's coming in and now the waves are cascading against my Jeep. And now there's four inches of water in my Jeep and I'm like, holy crap, what to do? So this drunk couple comes over in their pickup truck, of course, like drunk hillbilly, you go over there, um, ties a chain on it and then he gets stuck. So I'm like, crap. So I called a tow truck already and they were like, finally got there waves like my jeep is i'm just like is my jeep gonna get washed away i don't know i'm pretty sure it will and and so now the guy's like all right you got who's paying and he's like all right i ended up having to pay for the guy who got stuck because oh, the, the tow wouldn't tow me out until that was paid and that guy wasn't gonna pay i'm just like oh my god so it ended up being like like eight hundred dollars to to tow me out and then yeah, and then two weeks later, I'm up on the top of a mountain at 14,000 feet in Colorado with my Jeep, and I'm with my buddy Marlon, and my crankcase just goes, and it collapses. We went up for sunrise. We had to push the Jeep down from 14,000 feet to 10,000 feet to the very bottom and then get another Jeep to pull us through a little river, oh, and then nice. we had to hitch a ride to a town that was an hour away so that we can get service, so that we can call a tow truck, so the tow truck can come out and then tow us two hours away, and then... I traded my Jeep in that 
weekend after I fixed it because I was like, <laughs> crap, that salt water is just going to destroy it. So RIP, I'm so sorry, whoever bought that Jeep from a dealership. They probably, <laughs> probably inherited the rest of the problems I was going to have. Yeah, put, yeah, put, their, put their, their foot through the rusted floor pan. Oh, my God. So bad. What do you think the biggest challenge facing photographers right now is? Getting out of their own way. And I think I think a lot of it is, and I, and I try to talk about this with, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm drawing a blank. It's, it's when people feel inferior and they compare themselves. What's the word that's thrown? Oh, imposter syndrome, yeah. Imposter syndrome, thank you. Yeah, so I think, I think that's like, the number one topic that I really try to dive into with people and try to get them out of that mindset of comparing themselves. So I think getting out of their own way and, and just not comparing themselves to other people because we're all mm. on different journeys. We all have different visions. Like even when I'm teaching and I have students, I love teaching who people who are new to photography because they see the world almost like a, like an infant or a baby does. Yeah. They see it in a way that we don't because we're, we've taught ourselves to look at it a certain way. So we tend to get tunnel vision and we don't see sometimes all the beauty that's around us. And some of those new photographers still see that. So I try to, I try to teach people to embrace that side of them and never lose it. And also to learn from them on what they're seeing. So I, I think it's just not comparing ourselves to others because there's just no reason to, you're never going to be anybody else. And your work is always going to be exactly where it should be. If you're a year into photography, you can't look and be like, wow, my work's going to look like Nick Page or Shane Bloom or Max Reeve or like these guys. Yeah, if you're yeah. a year into photography, then just be proud. Like I look back at, at my photos from a year in and two years in, and I'm proud of them, man. And I was proud of them and I'm proud of them now. They didn't suck. They were just part of the journey. And the photos now... I'm just as proud of. And I, th I think we need to give ourselves some slack and not compare and not think we need to be a certain place or try to rush it because it's just a process. And this is a creative journey. And just remember why you do it and why you got into it. Mm, and that's absolutely. the important part, not be influenced by other people. Yeah, I'm totally behind everything you've just said there as far as I'm concerned. The only person you should be comparing yourself to is your past self so that you can say, okay, look at what I did, as you say, a year in or six months in, two years in, three years in. And if there's no progress, then maybe there's a problem. But 99.9% .9 of people are going to see progress in their photography in that time and they're going to go, okay, I'm actually on the right path or I'm on a path that I'm comfortable with. And if I could just interject here and just go back to what you just said, if you need to rewind and listen to what Grant just said, it's not cliche. This isn't him or me like trying to like put this facade on like how we think you should 1000% take that mindset and run with it because absolutely that's, it's so important. And I just see so many people that fall victim to that. And I, I don't think it's talked about enough. Yep. And sometimes we just, yeah, we just put ourselves down that way. And it's, it's gross and it shouldn't exist. And yeah, listen to what Grant just said and, yeah. and yeah. Like rinse and repeat that.
I I don't have a problem in looking at people whose work I just it makes my jaw drop and I go, wow, how did they do that? Because that that that's inspiring to me because that gives me a target to aim for, but I don't necessarily want to copy it. And that that to me is really where your mindset, you're 1,000% right there. You, your mindset has to be, what am I doing? Am I improving? Am I going forward? And if you're looking at somebody else's photography and you think it's better than yours, it probably is. But so what? Yeah, it's just, and it's perspective. Like you always look at the camera next to you and go, wow, they got a better composition than me. It, it, it never fails. Like that's, oh, that's, that's going to yeah. always Grass is always greener. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a human nature that a lot of people have, including myself. I, 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 I luckily do not, I don't battle imposter syndrome to the point where I, I see it in people, but I'll definitely be next to someone shooting the same scene and be like, oh, wow, you have a better composition. They look at my, no, you do. And I'm like, no, you do. <laughs> we're like, let's switch. And then, and then we switch and we're like, wait, no, that was the better one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That was, that's just how it is. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just important to, uh, oh, the other point, when you were talking, I, I wanted to to make a point to say that embrace shooting with people that you think are better than you and, and push boundaries and totally. please don't ever get jealous. Use that as motivation. I freaking love hanging out with someone and whether it's a student or a friend that takes a better photo than me on that day, mm -hmm. my hat comes off that is my goal in life is to surround myself with people that are constantly doing things better than me because it just, it's such a learning tool. You never want to be the best person in the room. And if, and when you are, you need to figure out how to not be because that's when you stop growing. And that's dude. And I genuinely, I genuinely love this. I'm, I'm not like these things I'm, I'm saying are not, are not said just to, Oh, I want to sound cool and sound like I am like the almighty and have this mindset. Yeah, I, and no, no, nobody's perfect. And if anybody is, then I don't want to know. I love when someone takes a better photo than me. It is not a failure. It is yeah. not. It is like, hell. Yeah. Victor, you snapped that photo. Damn, bro. I didn't see that. Hell yeah. Cool. Now it's a reality check. It's always a reality check and it allows you to zoom out and see, wow, how could I have looked at this differently? Mm. Yeah. And, and it always amazes me when you get a group of photographers together and they could be standing within five or six yards of one another and they all come up with something different. You look at the back of the camera at the end of the shoot and you go wow where did you see that you were standing right next to me and i didn't see that you know yeah man it's, it's the best yeah it's a great feeling what do you think the future of photography holds for me or the world uh, either or both <laughs> we got time both. <laughs> yeah yeah for the world pushing boundaries and our technology is getting better so we're gonna have uh, more efficient means to cater to people that are really high level creatives so i think we're just gonna 
we're going to explore new places and see new things and be inspired and, and keep growing. But for me, I don't know, man, I'm just going to keep trying to find those rocks that nobody else is kicking and, uh, and snap them. I just, I think as far as like the business side of things, I'm really focused this year on, on growing my business and sure. allocating a lot of different ways to learn from me and from myself and from me yeah. to keep learning too. But uh, uh, a lot of like online stuff, I think that's where I can make the most impact. Of course, like in person is going to have the most impact per person, but I think I could reach more people and help more people through like online courses and mentorships and webinars mm -hmm. and like, like just things that are widespread. I just want to, I just want to touch more people and just help people along their creative process. It helps me too. So it's the win. Who do you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Oh man, just talk to your higher power, man. Just sit here and have a conversation with your higher power. I think you should have my dog on the podcast next. Okay. I think, uh, no, I don't know, man. Let me think. Come back to me on that one. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to really think of like someone under the radar that like doesn't get the recognition. Cool. Yeah. I think is like super interesting because I think those are the people that. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of the things I've always had in mind for the podcast is to not just be going for the super famous people. It's about everyone right across the spectrum. So I don't care if someone's got a following of 50 people on Instagram right. or 100,000 people on Instagram. I'll talk to them both if they're good photographers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to plug my friend, Jason Cudlow. He's, yeah. he's such an interesting dude. He lives in an Airstream too with his wife and two Aussies, Australian Shepherds. And not yeah anyway i won't make that joke but yeah and i think him and there's this dude daniel stein who's i don't really know much about him but he takes cool astro photos and and, and he's a super weird dude i want to hear him on a podcast i, I think he okay. would be a super weird yeah look him up see what uh, he does really cool astro but he's just a weird dude he might be interesting and I don't know whose photography I really love. Paige Tingey. I don't know if you know who she is, but yeah, I've seen her work. Yeah, dude, she's. I'm like always blown away by her colors, and mm. she's. I think she's my favorite like female artist. Not to put classes because I think we're all just artists, but yeah, but just just trying to recognize some of the female artist but yeah pages i've never actually met her but i i always hear great things and i bet she'd be really fun to have on the podcast yeah fantastic thank you for that yeah i've got one more question for you and for most of my listeners it's the one that we want to get to the bottom of in the photography community do you like pineapple on pizza oh man come on <laughs> who likes pineapple on their pizza I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't, I think I'm with you on there. 
I don't mind it, but I would never order pineapple on a pizza. Yeah, I, I wouldn't free. order it, but I'd, I'd, I'd eat it if it was there. Yeah. Fair enough. It's been absolutely marvellous getting to know you a little bit better, Kenny. Where can people find your work? Where can they find that? I guess every social media platform that you can think of, just look up a, a, a KRL photo because somehow I'm everywhere, but nowhere at the same time. But yeah, YouTube. Yeah, if you guys are listening, I'm really trying to grow my YouTube. I'm trying to go from five to 10 subscribers. So if you can be my 10th subscriber, I would be delighted to have you over there. That's uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely... Up? Hit you up on that. And uh, the same, if anyone's listening, go to my YouTube and hit me up because I don't think 300 subscribers is going to be sustainable for too long. I'll get you. I don't think I follow your YouTube. So I'm always looking for new YouTubes to follow, honestly, because I don't follow enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Oh, yeah, well, thank you yeah. very much, Kenny. It was great talking to you. Dude, you too, Grant, man. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. I hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.